last parasha in the book of Bereshit. Uh, and as you know, the, the book of Bereshit is also called Sefer Yitzirah. And uh, some think that it's because the parasha includes the story of Yitzirah Ha'olam, the creation of the world. But the Maharal has already pointed out, as has the Ramban by uh, hinting at it, that it's really the whole book of Bereshit is about Yitzirah. And the only question is, like, what is it you look to when you say Yitzirah? According to the Maharal, and probably according to, uh, uh, according to the Ramban as well, the purpose of creation could only be understood at the time of Matan Torah. There was the, the existence of the created world, the very existence of the created world depended on the Torah being injected into the world because without the Torah, the people just couldn't live up to the standard. Whatever the standard is that enables the world of creation to go on, that standard cannot be lived up to as long as, <coughs> as, long as uh, uh, there was no Torah. And that's why Chazal made the drashah. You remember it says, Vayer Vayvoka Yom Hashishi. Yom Hashishi. In fact, in the, in the Sefer Torah that we read from, the hay of Hashishi is written, is writ large. You know, it's bigger than the other letters. As though to say, not just Friday, but a special sixth day. And the special sixth day is, of course, the sixth day of Sivan, where the Torah was given. So there is this idea that the whole, the, all of Matan, the whole Torah until the parish of Yitro is simply an explanation of why there had to be a Torah. Because people left to their own designs, as we've pointed out on several occasions, people left to their own, without clear directives, tend to mess things up. And so, uh, even Adam and Chava, who received just one simple, clear directive from God, don't eat the fruit of the tree, managed to mess that up. And not only did they eat it, but they thought they were doing the right thing, because they had convinced themselves, at least according to the Chazal interpretation, that they had misunderstood, that God did not tell them not to, you know, don't eat but there was something else that God, that God said that they simply did not understand. Of course, they had the help of the Nachash, and, and somehow you've got to straighten out all these different elements. But the idea that the Torah gives certain clear directives, and those clear directives make it possible to, to have a world which was worth creating for God somehow. I mean, even though we don't know why God created the world, but we imagine that the world should live up to a certain standard. There has to be something good in the world of creation. But if there was nothing good in the world of creation, you'd have the situation of the time of uh, Noah, where nothing was good. And so the world was basically, was not only destroyed, but it was refracted back into creation. Right? The, when the water covered the earth, that brought everything back to the state of tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu means, I'm not talking about the words, 
I don't know what the words mean. The words are like some kind of an onomatopoeic idea, like tohu and bohu. One of them is not a real word. Like probably bohu. But it's like tohu bohu, like people would say, uh, you, uh, I haven't got an example of that. But people would say that, they'd like, like say a word and then uh, sort of slur it again when they say it again. So that's what tohu bohu is. Tohu bohu means it's undifferentiated. The world is undifferentiated because it says in the first pasuk in the Torah, the second pasuk, that everything was tohu bohu. And what? Mishmash. Oh, that's good. Mishmash. Mishmash is is a kind of onomatopoeic about itself. Like you just say mish in the wrong way, so you end up with mishmash. But that real onomatopoeia usually means a word that sounds like a noise. You know, like. Tsif tsuf ha tsiporin. So tsif tsuf. If you like little Israeli kids, all lisp. You know that? Every kid in the gun lisps for some reason. And they grow out of it. Or they never, or they just do it because it's fun. I don't know. But so they, when they say tsif tsuf, they say it like that. And you can hear the birds. You can hear the birds, so that's an onomatopoeia. So I'm talking about something else. Look about a corruption of a word into a sound that is like the word. Right? Like mishmash. That's good. I like that. I have to remember. So that, that the whole book of Breshit is the book of the creation of the nation that would eventually receive the Torah, which is the way uh, uh, the Maharal and the Ramban understood things. Uh, that's, what, that's what prehistory is about. Prehistoric times are about creating a situation which would enable the world to exist, the world that could not exist at the time of, of Noah, but had to be recreated, started over again. The world was, start, was a startup at the time of, of Noah. That is the position, that is the position of Naran. So the end of the book of the end of the book of Breshit, right, is the Sefer Yitzirah. It's the creation of the nation. The nation was, when was the nation created? When everyone born to a Jewish parent became a Jewish, part of the Jewish nation. That was the creation of the, of the nation. You see, in the time of Avravinu, there was no nation. He had two sons. And so we, what we do is we say, oh, one son was worthy and the other one was not worthy. So he really ended up, from our point of view, with one son. The same is true about Yitzchak. Two sons, one was worthy, one was not worthy. When it came to Yaakov, he may have had sons who were not worthy. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, they all did things that we are not proud of. Nevertheless, they're in they're in the family. That's what, that's what happened at the time of, 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 uh, of Yaakov's death. That Yaakov created a family. And the family would create a nation. And it's only with the family and the nation that the promise to Avram Avinu, to Yitzhak, to Yaakov, that you'll be a great nation could possibly come true. Because if only the ones who are worthy would be in uh, we would be a lot smaller than we are today, right? There would be nothing to us, nothing to the, the, to the Jewish people at all. 
so that the book of Bereshit is Sefer Yitzirah. Sefer Yitzirah means creation of that which was necessary in order to give the Torah. Because since they were a nation, they would accept the responsibility. A nation, a people, a group, they would accept the responsibility of passing the Torah on to the next generation. But if we were living at the time of Abraham, when Lot was not such a good Talmud, right, and, and Ishmael was certainly not such a good Talmud, so then we, would, we wouldn't be able to pass down uh, uh, the Torah until we discovered who we were dealing with which is not such a good educational method. You know, the way to do it is to, to give it to them when they are children and not wait till they grow up. So this is the story of Bereshit, which culminates, which culminates with the parasha Bayeshi, in which Yaakov, you know, gives a bracha or talks about the future. I mean, you know, not interested, we're talking about what the bracha was. But he talks about the future with each of his children. Right? Each of his children gets a conversation. Each of his children on that level, at the level of bracha, is equal to each of the others. It doesn't matter, even though in the bracha, Yaakov Avinu mentions what about you, about you, Ruve, you, Shimon, and Levi, right? What about you made me unhappy? He tells it right out. But they're in. They're not out. There's nobody who is out anymore. Everybody's in except for one person, for one son of Yaakov. And that's the story that we're going to uh, uh, read. This is the story at the beginning of the parasha, the beginning of the parasha of Vayichi. It says, Vayichi achar dvorim ha'ileh, vayom ali yosef, hinei avicha choleh, vayikach ha'shnei banavimo, et min ha'shevet, efrayim ha'mystery. Why did Yosef take his sons Ephraim and Menashe? Whatever you say, whenever you answer a question like that, you can say, well, you know, anyway, the same thing, your father's dying, you take your children, your grandchildren, you know. No, that's not the question. The question is always, why does the Torah report it? Like, like okay, he took his children. It's a normal thing to do, a natural kind of way of doing keyboard art. Right? You know, by the time you... You know, most fathers die. Their children don't want to talk to them anyway. But the grandchildren, they're still happy to go visit the grandfather. It's not the point. The point is that the Torah tells us that he brought his children with them, which from the interpretive point of view means it's reasonable for me to think that this is important, that something is important going on that Yosef knew about. So I gave Yaakov a Yom and he made him say Yosef. He got up. And why did he get up? Why did he act in deference to Yosef? Because after all, I mean, Rashi says what Rashi says, but after all, Yosef was the king. Yosef was the king of, of Egypt. And even a, a, a secular king or a non-Jewish king deserves kavod, the kavod of malchut. He had the malchut. There was no doubt about the fact that he was the king and that at least the way the stories related in the beginning of Shemot and, and, and here in the, the previous parasha, Pharaoh, he didn't know what was going on. He was not like a main character in the Egyptian story. Yosef was the king. He was the one who did it. He was the one that made it happen. 
he was the king of Egypt. So Yaakov naturally gives him deference. He's his son, but he's also, he's also the king. Remember Luz, that's Beit El, that's when he left Eretz Yisrael to go to the house of Lavan. Uh, he had this vision, you know, a ladder with angels going up and angels going down. And he says, uh, And God blessed me at that time. Okay? So, uh, so this is like a, a, an introduction. It's like an introduction. He says, God blessed me. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? The next pasuk says, and this is the bracha. We know the bracha. This period of the Rivia, you'll be much, you'll be many, you'll be a great nation, and this land will be in Achuzah. Now, this word Achuzah reminds me, it reminds me of the last pasuk in last week's parashad Vayigash that I think I've mentioned before it says that when, when Yaakov and his family came to Mitzrayim they, what? they settled in what the Torah calls Eretz Goshen Vayechuzubah Vayechuzubah means they, they grabbed onto it. it it means they owned it and you know it's interesting that Goshen is always called in the Torah except for the first time which we talked about in the connection to Hanukkah, that was last week? Yeah. <laughs> it was a small group last week. Hanukkah was good, but it was a good year anyway. I mean, in spite of the fact, I don't mean anyway, it's in spite of the fact that uh, there weren't any, there were too many people, it was a good year. So the, 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 uh, uh, means that they owned it. Uh, uh, in the Torah, Goshen is always called Eretz Goshen. Eretz Goshen, like, it was a separate place. It was the land of Goshen that they, that they, uh, so that, that in some way, in my mind, it seems that Goshen, for some period of time, was in competition with Eretz Canaan. Now, it may be that Yaakov was trying to teach his children that in order to withstand the, the, the perils of diaspora living, you have to have a certain amount of independence. You have to be on your own. You have to be able to create your own, your own world in that diaspora. If you don't create your own world in the diaspora, you're going to just disappear. You're going to, you're going to fade away. So he says, Achuzat Allah. Not like the Achuzah you have in Mitzrayim, which is an Achuzah, but it's not forever. You're going to get it forever. And you know that this is the problem. Like Avram Avinu had this problem, and Yitzvah, yeah, they all... He says, how can, you, how can it be Achuzat Olam? What if B'nai Yisrael, my children and grandchildren, etc., don't deserve Eretz Yisrael? Won't they get kicked out? It's like a question that the Gemara says that Avram Avinu said, Ba ki How could I possibly... How do I know what's going to be? I don't know what my children are going to be like. So, and, and, in any event, that, that was an issue. That was the issue. So then, uh, the next pasuk, pasuk hey, v'atash, nei b'necha no'ladim l'cha b'eret v'tzrayim, at bo'i e'lecha 
Now you can say whatever you like about this pasuk. Yaakov says to Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe. You know why you brought them here? You knew that you had to bring them here. Because they're part of the immediate story. They're not here for Bikur Cholim. They're here to participate in the new story that is going to be written right now. And that new story is Yosef out and Ephraim and Menashe in. It was Yosef. Yosef becomes at this point in this story a non-entity from the point of view of Klal Yisrael. Yes, he did our history. He did a great thing. He was a wonderful organizer. He was a great leader. He brought his people, his family to Eretz Mitzray. He was the greatest of the great. But he's not one of the sons of Yaakov. Instead, Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim and Menashe. Now you might think, you might think that this is some kind of reward that Yosef got. That he sort of was doubled. He was doubled in size. But that's not true. Because we know that when Eretz Yisrael was divided up amongst the tribes, the land of Israel was given out according to families. Each family, like here, you buy a house in Israel, you get a quarter of a dunam. You know, the quarter of a dunam, unless you live in some wilderness on a hilltop, then you could have the whole hilltop. But if you live in some place that's organized, and you buy a house, or you build a house, you get a quarter of a dunam. Everybody gets a quarter of a dunam. That's how it was when they gave out the, the land of Israel to the families of the Shvatim. So that means that because Yosef was now Ephraim of Manasseh, he didn't get more. He didn't get Pishnayim. He got exactly the same thing that he would have gotten had he been alone. And not with Ephraim of Manasseh. So that the way I see it is that Yosef was, quote unquote, being excluded. He wasn't being given some sort of prize for all the good that he had done. He was being excluded. It doesn't say why he was being excluded, but he was. And therefore, uh, in other words, the other children that you will have, or you did have, there's a machloket in the Gemara about whether he had more children, or he's going to have more children, but whatever that comes up, they're just a prime and the They are the two shvatim. Uh, and all the other children will become absorbed into Ephraim and Menashe. And then, Yaakov says, So in some way, she's also left out. You know, Chazal, in order to justify the fact that Rachel was not buried in the Maratha Machmela, now let's say, let's say Beit Lechem. I mean, I don't think, I don't think archaeologists would agree. But let's say Beit Lechem is over there. And Hebron is over there. The Yaakov of Lino, he forced his children to bring him to burial back in Eretz Yisrael in the Maratha Machpelah. But he didn't insist that they move Rachel 
to Marat HaMachpelah as well. Now, Chazal find this troublesome, and they say what they say, Rachel Mevakal Baneha, that this was the path out of Eretz Yisrael into, into Bavel, and she was, uh, she was kind of uh, crying for them, for them who they left, who they left Eretz Yisrael. And, you know, so Yaakov Avinu is not justifying himself. He's saying, he's saying, this is the way it is. You are not my son, and your mother is not my wife. It's true that there's Binyamin, right? You remember Binyamin? Another son of Rachel. So it doesn't fit in, what I'm saying doesn't fit in exactly, but I think it's, you know, if I could like push it around a little, I get it, I get the, the screw into place. But I think that's what's happening. I think that Yaakov explaining to, to Yosef that in some way he and his mother are out and they're not part of the family. Pasuk Chet. Who are these boys? Of course, he knew exactly who they were. Bring them to me. Now, listen to this. Just like Yitzchak. Exactly the same. Here's Yaakov. He's, he's Yitzchak. He says, He can't see. So Yitzchak couldn't see. Yitzchak wanted to uh, uh, bless Esau. And Yaakov showed up, but since he didn't know, he couldn't tell the difference. Yaakov, uh, like, got dressed up or whatever. I mean, uh, he, Yaakov got dressed up so that he would think he'd be like Esau, but really, he couldn't tell the difference. He didn't know. I mean, he was not able to do that. And then, uh, then it says, the Ene Yisrael Kadumi Zoken, Lo Yuchaler Ot, Vegashitav Elav, Vishak Lehevi, Chavek Lehev. There's a lot of Israel in this parasha, right? You know that. You know that. Generally speaking, generally speaking, Yaakov is the name of the person who was the son of Yitzchak. So whenever the Torah talks about Yaakov, like the person, Yaakov, he went here, he did this, he stood up, he sat down, he's Yaakov. But when the Torah talks about the father of the nation, and the nation, then they call him Yisrael. Now this is true, even though it doesn't always work. You know, this kind of distinction that I make doesn't always work. If I'm sukim, we're a little difficult to understand, but generally speaking, it works. What? Have you seen this? Because she had all the children. Okay. Okay, good. That's good. It's like not clear whether it's the knees of Yosef or the knees of Yaakov. I think it's Yosef. And then he bowed down. Because you said, then we have this story. Right? You know the story which one is first, which one is older, which one is younger, 
Right? Yaakov decides that the younger is the older, the older is the younger. Right? Just like Yitzchak. Yitzchak didn't know that Esau had sold the birthright. So he was the younger. And he wanted to bless him first as though he were the older. Right? So you see here, Yaakov, Yaakov is, is doing something very similar. Right? So if you look now... Uh, uh, you see the highlighted words? Then it says, Vayivarech et Yosef. It's like an opening. And then what does Yaakov say? In the name of God. God who was with me. God who sent the angel. In the name of God. What's missing? What's missing? The bracha. doesn't say anything. It doesn't say any bracha. It says in the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, what do you call that? You know, like like you start a sentence and then you continue something else. You know, no, like non sequitur. What? A non sequitur. Well, what's it called then? Lacunin. A what? Lacunin. I know that's a good word though. <laughs> that's not what I mean. A non sequitur is better, but I don't mean that either. You know, like you know, like in the third grade, the teacher makes an X with a red pencil. Fragment. Uh-huh. Fragment. <laughs> dangling everything's dangling no okay it doesn't matter but how can you write it how can you tell me write a postdoc like that right you can't, you can't write a postdoc without having a a, a, a a subsequent clause but by if you say ma what was the what was the subject the, the clause so I think uh, that what it means is that he told him he told her that by implication, you are blessed because I am your father. And because I am, God has guarded me, so God will guard you. I mean, that's, that's what the Pasuk says. But we'll think about it further in a moment. In a moment. So he says, they get all the brachot, these boys. Who well, I've established, I've established the tribe as being the Bechor and, and, and the Nash as being uh, uh, second, right? So, Vayoma Yosef, Pasuk Yutet, Vayoma Yosef and Lavid, Lokei Nabid. So, Yosef finally realizes that something cockeyed here, that he's excluded, he's not in the, in the story, he's not in the story of the sons of Yosef, of Yaakov. You imagine that? Yosef, who was the king, and Yosef, who was the one who brought them down to Mitzrayim, and Yosef watched over them all the years that he was alive, and he's not in the story. He's not getting a bracha, not a real bracha. Uh, Don't get messed up like we did, like Yitzchak, who almost gave the bracha to Esau. The last minute, you saved him. You went in there. How can you do this? How can you do this to me by switching around, by telling me? And I was like, this is an act of, 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 of authority, of ba'alut. Who owns these children? Who owns these children? The father owns the children. Owns, I don't mean in the bad sense. I mean, who's the, the, 
Who has dominion over these children? The father. So if you said to the father, who is born first? You believe him. If he said, that's right. You believe him. So what does Yaakov say? No, no, I'm going to decide who is born first. I'm going to decide who is the Bechor. So when Yaakov says, I'm going to take him into my family to be like my son, he's not speaking, it's not hyperbole. He's not saying, oh, I will love him like a son, you know, that kind of uh, uh, a thing that people say. It means, he is my son. And he is not, therefore, your son, Yosef. He's my son. And therefore, I determine, Yaakov says, who the Bechor is. Because he's my son. And that's one thing that a father can determine. And his word, everybody would take his word for it. And finally it says, finally it says, it says, he refuses to change. Yaakov is not going to change his position. Don't worry. It's not a put down. They will both be great, but... Uh, but, but, but it will be the way I say I say he's the Bechor and he's the Bechor and he will act like a Bechor and he will be like the Bechor so that Yosef is not only divested of a Bracha which should come to him which is emphasized in Pesuk by this uh, <laughs> What did you say? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's emphasized by that lack of simple grammatical structure. And, 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 and like, it's like it's sort of saying, and you swallow hard, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I mean, how can the Torah say it more clearly? How can it be more, without saying something that might be interpreted as something bad, or the Shonara, but if you say, ah, you know, that was it, nothing, there was no bracha. And finally, the last pasuk, pasuk of Aleph, Vayom Yisrael Yosef, Inein Ochimnet, Vayalokimim Achem, Vayshivit Chem of Eretz Avotechem. So you have, uh, in my opinion, yeah, in my opinion, you have a struggle between Yaakov and the comforts of the diaspora. When Yaakov was in the house of Lavan, he didn't have a comfortable time. He didn't have an easy day. He worked. He was fooled. He was tricked. He had no money. He had no way of leaving. He married the wrong woman. It took him another seven years to marry the right woman. He had no trouble, no problem leaving the love on diaspora and going back to Eretz Kenan. Even though his brother Esau had sworn that he would kill him when his father died. Nevertheless, he was ready to go back. He never was integrated into the world of that diaspora. The Yosef story is different. Yosef is completely integrated. And the children, I mean, even though they may, they may be able to maintain, I mean, after all, Yosef spoke Hebrew, maybe he spoke Hebrew to, you know, on the Israeli radio, they're always interviewing no, they have no trouble. Any place in the world, they want uh, like a pseudo-news reporter, like somebody who's not really a reporter, but speaks Hebrew. And, uh, like, you know, the North Pole. 
You know, you say, oh, how long have you been there? I've been there for 40 years in the North Pole. I think they talk Hebrew and they, they report on what's going on, what's going on in Hebrew. So they, they say to them, do you miss, do you miss uh, uh, the land? Do you miss Eretz Israel? Oh, terrible. We miss it so much. You know, there's just no planes for the North Pole to, to, uh, to Israel. So, I mean, I'm not saying that the Christians are saying that, that the, the, the Golah, the Galut, one of the punishments of the Galut is that it's enticing. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's remarkable that Yehuda Levi said, uh, you know, that Yehuda Levi correct poetry about Eretz Yisrael, which is then included into the Kinota on Tisha. It's remarkable because he had a good life. He lived in a nice place. He was like, uh, you know, uh, they were very, very well respected. The Jews were respected in Spain. So, so Galut is, is the enticement of it. It's, a, it's enticing. You know, that the Raman says in the beginning of the parasha of the Tzavet, which is about the big day kuhuna. So, the Raman says, you want to know how to make big day kuhuna? He says, you go to Persia. And in Persia, they really know about these things. You know, the Chitzoniyut is their expertise. So you go look at the king of Persia, you see what kind of clothing he wears. Then you know how to dress the Kohen Gadol. You know what the Torah means. Right? That's, that's, there's an enticement. There's an enticement in the Galut. Uh, Yaakov did not suffer from that. Because he was always the odd man out. He was never able to integrate himself into the family of Lavan for whatever reason. But Yosef and his sons were not like that. Yosef and his sons were integrated into this Galut. And yes, it's true they spoke Hebrew and when they called them from Kol Yisrael they said whatever they said, but they were not what Yaakov had thought about. And the only way that Yaakov could remake the family of, of Yosef was becoming their biological father, so to speak. I don't know how genetics worked in those days, how they thought the influence, what kind of influence you could have on children, right, if you were not the father, but you took them in and made them your children. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Yaakov is saying. Yaakov is saying to Yosef, you can't be redeemed. You've been here too long. I mean, Yaakov was in, in Mitzrayim for 17 years. And, Ye- and Yosef for 30 more years. He says, he says it's, I mean, it's true you were a righteous person. And you did important things. But you are, uh, you are in the diaspora. You know, when they went back to bury Yaakov of Inu, Yosef took them there, then Yosef took them back. It was not an issue. I mean, they just say, we'll stay here. Okay, there are always reasons. You know, they had their families, they had their sheep, they had an investment. They had a, you know, like, there's always a reason not to go. That's not, uh, that's not hard to find. But you see that Yosef was the man of the diaspora. Even though he said, he said at the end, you know, after you leave, please take me with you. I don't want to be here alone. Okay, but while he was alive, while he was alive, he could not constitute on his own uh, the new creation, which is Israel. That couldn't happen. Now, 
I want to just look at uh, I have three sources that I want to look at and it has to do with that pasuk first the Rajbam which is the shortest the Rajbam says okay I mean I think everybody could understand that he says that he says that uh, that if your children are successful it makes you feel good Right? People, uh, fathers, feel good if their children are successful. So, so that Vayivarech, Vayivarech, uh, et Yosef, means that it's the same bracha. The bracha that goes to the private menashe goes back to Yosef because Yosef, you know, uh, Yosef has pleasure seeing his children successful. That's it. Grammatically, everything lines up then. There's no yeah, so it's like you have a, a, a colon uh, at your safe. Right? That's like the end. It's the end of the thought, not the beginning of the thought. That's what the, that's what the Rashbam says. You know, there's a famous Ramban. At the end of the parasha of Noah, it says, Vayamot Terach Tiharam. That's the last words of the parasha of Noah. But Terach died in Haram. Rashi says, the people would have asked, uh, what about the obligation that Avram Avinu then went to Eretz Yisrael? What about the obligation that Avram Avinu had, uh, the obligation that Avram Avinu had of Kibbut Av? How could he leave his father and then go to Eretz Kenat? So the Torah says, uh, he died. And then the explanation in the Gemara is that Rishaim, that evil people, bad people, while they're alive, are, are considered to be, it's as though they were dead. It's as though they were dead. That's what the, that's what the Chazal, Chazal say. Uh, uh, the Rabban, the Rabban says, it makes an interesting point, I mean, which is either correct or not correct or acceptable. Or not, so it makes an interesting point. It says in Parshat Lechlecha, God says to Avram Avinu, You will meet up with your forefathers in peace. Which is usually taken to mean that in Ganeden, There'll be a meaning of Terach and Avram Avinu. And so, of course, the question is, uh, Terach was a, was a bad person. He was an Oved of Odazara. He never did anything else. He was totally, that was his business, that was his life, that was enterprise, was Avodazara. So how could it be that Avram Avinu and Terach are going to meet up in the next world? I mean, you think at least they'd be in... You know, like one would be on the 50-yard line and the other one would be in some bleacher someplace. They're going to meet up. They'll be together. So the, the Ramban says the following. So the Gemara says in Tamid, the Gemara says that ha-ma'racha, the trees that you use to fuel the fire on the Mizbeach. Right? The, the Mizbeach, this altar, the Beit HaMikdash, had a big, it was like very big, you could walk on it, it was like the size of this, uh, this whole thing in the middle where they lay in front. So you could walk up, it was a ramp, you went up to this bag and you could walk around the Mizbeach. 
on the top. And if anything that happened on the on the Mizbeach, the Kohanim walked up the ramp and they walked up to the Mizbeach and they went to this corner or that corner, they went to wherever. But in the middle, there was a fire that burnt all the time. And that fire, the fuel for that fire, were trees that they collected in the in the area around around town. You know, you went out, you shalite, and they went out and they collected trees and they brought them back, a big pile, and they used those trees to fire the fire on the Mizbeach. So the Gemara says, Chutzmi, I'd say Shemen the Gepha, whatever it says. But you couldn't use trees, olive trees, or uh, um, grapevines. Couldn't use olive trees, and you couldn't use grapevines. Why not? Because you needed the oil, and you needed the wine, also for the Korbanot. So, 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 if you have a competing, competing interest, uh, so the Gemara says, the winner is going to be the oil. The winner is going to be the grapes. So you don't cut those trees down because you need the grapes and you need the, and you need the olives. So you don't use those trees for the fuel. So the Gemara says about that, he tzilu hapanim et ha'avot. The children or the offspring, that means the grapes and the olives, save the fathers. Fathers meaning the trees, right? Save the trees. So the Rabban says, it's the same thing with Abraham and Terach. Abraham, he saved where he came from. He saved Terach. What does that mean? So I thought it meant something like, you know, when you see children, you see young people or children, they're doing well, they're growing up, and then you look at the parents, you say, mm, you know, doesn't seem to be much of a connection, but the Ramban says there is a connection. In other words, Abraham could not have come into the world if he didn't receive some good genetic mapping from Terach. And even though Terach was a bad guy, it cannot be that in, inside of him there was only only back, so that, that the bracha that the Rashbam is talking about, right, the bracha the, that, that, the, that the fathers get because of their sons, according to the Ramban, is like a real bracha, because they really gave it to their sons. The, the children could not be who they are unless the parents gave them that, you know, sort of invested in that uh, uh, this capacity. So today, where everybody uh, seems to agree that genetics is everything, and there isn't really anything else except uh, genetics, so maybe that's what the Ramban meant. I don't mean that he knew anything about genetics, I just mean that he had this intuition that, that children are formed from their parents. And the goodness that you see in the children must somehow have evolved, must somehow have evolved from the, from the parents. So, according to, according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, we would say that, uh, that it's true that Yosef also was blessed because of Ephraim and Menashe. And even though Yosef himself was read out of the story, and Ephraim and Asher became part of the story, nevertheless, for Yosef, it was a, it was a bracha. Okay, I leave you with the Ramban and the, uh, and the Svat Emet, which you can uh, look at on Shabbos.
I mean, it could be that that's the reason you mean. No, but there it is. So I yeah. I guess she was also. I mean, I, you know, it would seem it would seem the pasuk says that he married an Egyptian uh, high-level lady, and she had an Egyptian name, right? And even though it became a Yiddish name ultimately, Osnat, Osnat became a a kind of a, a Yiddish name that was used very commonly in certain parts of uh, Yiddish-speaking Europe. Uh, nevertheless, we don't think about her, but. We can assume that if Yosef, in his private life, was very much the son of Yaakov, even though in his public life he was not, I would put his wife in the category of the private life. But just like uh, Yaakov married Rachel and Leah, in spite of the fact that they had Hebrew-sounding names, uh, were not Jewish, right, to the extreme, because they grew up in the house of idolatry. They were, they were, and when Rachel stole the trafim, trafim, these idols that her father used, she didn't break them for some reason. She stole them. And when you steal something, it's usually something that you want. You don't steal something that you don't want. So she really didn't want the father to have the trafim, and if she didn't want them either, then she would have I guess smash them. That would have been so. It's a little unclear, you know. A little uh, uh, women in this, you know, even though it's also not commonly pointed out or said, you know, all the men come from a tradition that they that they learned when they were children, and all the women were adopted into the tradition. So that should make a difference, even though there you could say, no, you could say, look, here, Rivka and Yitzchak are praying for children, and Rivka's answered before Yitzchak. So, you know, they have different kinds of, of pieces of information, but it would seem to be them gadol, you know, like if you stand back, the women are all, um, you know, come from a different world than the men who come from a world of... of uh, the world of Avram Avinu. I mean, I can't imagine that the women, you know, a woman who grew up in the house of Lavan had the same kind of insights as Yaakov Avinu who grew up in the house of Yitzchak. Uh, maybe not, but, you know, that's what I think. Have a good Shabbos.